or see the sense in or even when we have to wait or struggle. But when God calls us to be thankful and everything, it's to celebrate him and everything. And we want to do that with you together to celebrate what God is doing over in Spain. So just a little bit of a recap of our trajectory for those of you who haven't been with us for that many years. Uh, Lena and I and our, four, and our two children then did move to Spain in 1997. For some years we were involved in a church plant that some of the missionaries from our mission board had already started. Eventually that transitioned into us working with what became, uh, for that area, a large youth group and having uh, influence and input into the lives of some teens and young adults back in those years. That pretty much ended in, well, in about 2008, we started the, what is now our current church in our city of San Cugat. And uh, God has just slowly, as the work in Spain is very slow, the spiritual response of people is very slow, but God has little by little been building up that work. One prayer request for these months that we write about quite regularly is to pray that we have wisdom in challenging and training young families or anyone in our church to serve God with their gifts and abilities and different ministries and to take ownership of different aspects of the church and outreach and our church life. So that's a big prayer request. Um, so God is at work there. He's little by little giving fruit some of that is through the outreach of Synergy International Christian School. Back in 2012, we started taking the first steps, and those were steps of prayer. We met for several years, I think actually three years, just praying and planning with a small group of people. And then in 2015, actually opened Synergy for the first school year, and were open for four years. In the fourth year, the spring of 2019, we had about 60 students or 65. At that point, the government forced us to close the school because we hadn't been able to secure all the permits there. Every school of any kind, private, uh, public of course, foreign, has to be authorized by the government. And for several reasons, we had not been able to get authorized even though the government typically allows startup schools to just go be functioning while they secure their authorization, but in our case, really due to some uh, betrayal and opposition from within the school team, at that point, the government forced us to close down. So we were closed for two and a half years, doing a building project, resetting as a private American foreign school there, and we're finally, with, by the Lord's miraculous intervention and help and grace, able to reopen fully authorized in February of 2022. So we just, in June, finished our second, really, year, our first full school year authorized, and finished that year with 70 students, and now have almost 100 enrolled for September. As we pointed out here, there are only, I think, three other Christian schools in the whole country of Spain, a country of 46 and a half million people. That means that in the Catalonia area, there are, where, which is the northeast of Spain, there are no other Christian schools of any kind. Well, there are many, uh, many Catholic schools, of course, but no other evangelical schools. So any Christian family, uh, international families moving from abroad, anyone that wants a Christ-centered, Bible-based education for their children has no option. Uh, homeschooling is not legal there. The government considers it illegal, and many times 
forces parents that try to homeschool to put their kids back into a school. So parents there have no other option. Aside from doing, providing that for Christian, desperate Christian families, it's a great outreach to unsafe families. They see that uh, at Synergy their children are loved, they're educated well, they're offered a, a quality um, education, and they love bringing their kids there. And we tell them, your children here are going to be taught the gospel. The biblical worldview is integrated in everything that's taught and in the day-by-day -day life of the school. And many times they don't have any problem with that because they know what, um, how their kids will be treated there. So it's a great outreach. And it's already, we've seen fruit in the growth of the church through the school. So all that's just a real overview. So a prayer request, a couple prayer requests for the school would be, um, of course, for the work permit to come in for the small addition we were supposed to be doing this summer, for the unity and good functioning of the wonderful team of teachers and uh, mostly teachers that God has put together for us, and for some families specifically that are desperate to have their kids in a place where they can be free from uh, teaching that's contrary to the word and other influences, but have a very difficult time affording the tuition. There's a great need for um, scholarships. We, have a, we do have a scholarship fund that was mentioned briefly on one of the videos, and that's a great help to some families when, when there are funds given specifically for kids in that very needy area to be schooled in accordance with the teaching of God's word. And there are other prayer requests that we regularly write about. Thanks for keeping up with us through our email updates. And we'd be glad to communicate in any other way. If, you, if we haven't met before and you wish to stay in touch more closely, just come up to us after the meeting and we can communicate in whatever way works for you. And thank you very much. I would like to consider some verses from Ephesians chapter 6 with you for the rest of this time. Some verses that speak to us about power, prayer, and persistence. Power, prayer, and persistence. This is a familiar chapter for you, I'm sure, about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. But I'd like to just work through it quickly with you again, thinking about these three ideas that come out in this wonderful chapter, these wonderful verses. Power. We have power. Paul tells us in verse chapter 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Power. God tells us to be strong, but thankfully he doesn't just say, you be strong, strengthen yourself, do whatever you have to do, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, exercise, do whatever it takes and be strong. But he tells us to be strong in his own strength, in God's strength, in the power of his might. And we have these wonderful verses about the spiritual armor, right? I'm sure in those wonderful kids' ministries that you have, at some point they must have worked on the armor of God and had uh, visuals to help them picture what this armor is. I'm not going to go into it in detail because we know it's listed here, but I would like to point out that it's the armor of God. 
and not just armor that's from God, that he, that he says here, this is God's armor for you, really, because we have quotes from the Old Testament here, shows us that this is really a reference to God's own strength. Specifically, Isaiah's, Isaiah chapters 11 and chapter 15 talk about God having the belt of truth on and God being clothed in the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation being God's. So when Paul challenges us to be strong and in the power of his might, the way to do that is to move into God's strength, to be close to God. Strength is where God is. The Old Testament also tells us, uh, I believe it's Nehemiah said, in your presence is fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. So being with God is where we are strong. Being in fellowship with him strengthens us. Do you need strength? We all need strength. Maybe you feel especially weak. Maybe you're grappling with some issue, some problem, some conflict, some trial that God is moving you through and you just feel weak, you feel or useless or you feel depressed or you feel anxious and you know that you don't have strength. That strength is found in God. So the more we can be, closer we can be to him, the more we can stay in fellowship with him, the more we obey him, the more we can be in prayer, which we'll refer to again in a few minutes, the more we can be in his word. That's how God strengthens us because those things are what keeps us in him and abiding in Christ and it's in him that we have strength. And we need power because there's a battle. And you also know that this passage speaks about the battle where it says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we are definitely in a battle. There's a war going on. When, and that battle for believers is not so much because the word really that refers to a battle is where it says we do not wrestle. That's, that's the fighting, that's the key word here. And it's not a word of an army invading or conquering. It's not that type of military terminology, although it is a word that was used in warfare, but it's more about hand-to-hand combat, and it's really more about each person's individual strength and position. That's why he says a couple times, stand firm. Stand firm. That's something that a person has to do. It's personal. And the word wrestle means to waver or to go back and forth or to be unstable. And I believe what the enemy most wants for you and for everybody because of his hatred, especially for those who belong to the Lord, but really for all of life, is to keep you unstable, to keep you wavering, to keep you weak, or to keep you defeated. Especially if you individually or your family or you and your wife, you and your husband, or you alone as a person, or your church, you sense that God is leading you into something and you're going to take up something for God, you're going to, you have a project, you have a vision for some way that God has shown you he wants you to serve him, when we try anything like that, the enemy wants to scare us. Peter says he goes around as a roaring lion 
and a lion roars to scare its prey to paralyze and to strike fear. And what he wants to do is for you to cease and desist, to stop doing that, or to feel so weak that you just don't have it in you to continue. Sometimes that comes from the outside, from persecution, from the world or people out there or society or some other means the enemy uses to scare and intimidate us. Those of you who have followed our ministry in Spain know that we have gone through that. We've gone through direct opposition to people who, for example, did not want synergy started in a, in a certain place, and there was huge opposition. And that did scare us. It scared us. We, we wanted to shrink back. We wanted to hide. We wanted to stay in our house, literally. We wanted to not be seen by people, but we realized it was the enemy's tactic to get us to shrink back and not proceed. Sometimes that conflict comes from within. We've experienced that too. You may have as well. Sometimes that can be a conflict in a friendship, a family struggle, a family issue, something, a trial, a sickness, a problem that saps your strength and drains your joy, and without those things it's hard to proceed and forward for the Lord. And those are ways that we wrestle or waver, and it's really part of a war taking, pla taking place in the heavenly places. So the threat is that the believer waver or be destabilized because the enemy is opposed to you. He's opposed to you. He doesn't want your well-being. He doesn't want your spiritual growth and maturity. He doesn't like your life. And it's, it's, it's incredible how hard the enemy, and I'm, I'm not a big... I'm not a big spiritual warfare effort. I'm not really into the enemy all the time. But it's just incredible how much he'll fight tooth and nail to keep everyone from being well, to keep anyone from knowing the Lord, from hearing the gospel, and then from growing and prospering. He just fights over every single person. So we need to expect that he'll do that. Uh, multiple verses in the, in the New Testament help us understand that he does that through discouragement and through, through, through the conflict and some of these things we've mentioned before. For example, Ephesians 4, chap, uh, verses 26 and 27 say, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Because he's going to use those things, those things that seem like mundane things. Oh, well, I'm just angry. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Well, that gives place to the enemy. And he'll use those things in our lives to oppose us. Um, 2 Corinthians 2, Paul talks about uh, certain ways the Corinthian believers should act. Then he says, lest Satan should take advantages of, advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. And then the verse in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So all of these things... The war is in the heavenlies, but the outworking of it is in your marriage. It's in your home. It's in your workplace. It's in your school. It's in your second grade, third grade, fourth grade, uh, your high school, your university. It's in your day-to-day -day life. It's when you're alone. That's where the battlefield is. And Satan wants us unstable. He wants us wavering and weak and falling down or backing up.
So we need to put on the armor of God to be strong, to be stable, to be in, in God's power. We have those things in verses 13 to 17. And we're not going to do a study of each piece of this armor, but I will point out that putting on the armor and being strong takes complete obedience and full commitment. And it's just in the language that Paul uses here when he says, for example, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God. So these different parts of God's strength and the different pieces that we have mentioned here, we need all of that. We need every aspect of what gives us strength in God. And then he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. When you've done everything, you'll be able to stand. When we're fully committed, when we're all in, when we're not doubting, when we're not going back and forth in our minds, when our commitment is there, that's when we'll be strong. That's what will keep us in God's strength. And we have what the pieces of the armor are. <coughs> Excuse me. Truth. In this verse, truth is not really a reference to the truth of God's revelation, although, of course, that's the foundation of truth and reality. It's a reference to truthfulness, to being a truthful person, to being uh, trustworthy, to speaking the truth, even to thinking the truth, which nowadays is sometimes harder and harder to do, to having true thoughts, to knowing what's real, to seeing it and having it form my thinking and my thought processes and being the foundation of my actions. And then righteousness. Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. We know that our righteousness is really Christ's righteousness that clothes us at salvation. And what a wonderful truth that is. But that has to work out in righteous works, righteous words, righteous thoughts, righteous decisions in my daily life. It's part of our armor and protection. So in all of these areas of life, again, our family life, our, our deeds righteous, are we doing, are we outworking, working out Christ's righteousness? Are we building up our families? Are we caring for our marriages? Are we teaching our children? Are we working out righteousness in our fellowship with other believers in our church? Are we working together in ministries and in outreach, always in righteousness? Is it being reflected and shown in our behavior and words? Because again, that's part of God's armor, and that's where our strength is. The gospel of peace, this is understanding and internalizing the message of the gospel, and it's outworking for the rest of my life. The gospel, as you know, isn't just a, a quick one-time decision and that's it. It initiates a whole life of gospel, of gospel living and gospel walking and the redemption and transformation of my life, God's work in us as the outworking of the gospel of us and, of course, the proclamation of the gospel as well. Faith, our trust in God. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him? I know you know that He's great. I know you know He's powerful. I know you know He can and I know, I'm sure you have an 
overall idea of the trustworthiness of God, but when things are very difficult, when you can't see what's coming, you can't see what the, what the solution of this thing is, do you really trust the goodness of God in your life? Do you know that even though I'm not sure what's going on and how can this work and how can this be good at all, do you trust God? Can you really say in your heart, I know God is good. I know Jesus is faithful. I know he lived this already because he was tried in everything like we are. And but he did not sin. I know he's praying for me. I know he's interceding for me. And I know no matter what happens, I trust. I trust the goodness of God toward me. That's trust. That's one of the aspects of faith. That's what will give us strength. And salvation. Our understanding of salvation protects our mind. The helmet of salvation. It guides our thinking. It keeps us from uh, false ideas or or venturing into things that aren't real and aren't true. The helmet of salvation and, of course, the sword of the Spirit. That's the Word of God. The Word of God. And again, how, do we, how are we close to God? I heard a, uh, just yesterday or the day before a somewhat famous quote of C.S. Lewis. Again, you can't love someone that you don't know. You can't love someone that you don't know. How well are you getting to know God more and more and more? And the, the most direct place for that is his word. That's where we have the clearest, the most concise, the most perfect revelation of God to us is in his word. So through his word is also, aside from being the spirit's sword, it's where we go back to God and his strength. So that's power. Those are some things about power in the context of the spiritual warfare and of standing firm against the attacks of the enemy. Then we have prayer in verse 18. Again, a well-known verse. You know that there are a lot of words. There are actually four words in here that are like all. So it's a very complete and all-encompassing verse about the importance of prayer. And it's also meaningful that the great Apostle Paul so humbly and in a way that's so dependent on God ask others to pray for him. If Paul needed prayer to be able to declare wisely the word of God, how much more do we depend on it? He says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. All prayer at all times for all saints, always. Prayer must be the foundation and support of everything we do, and it's what God used to lead us. It's another aspect, really, of our being strong in Him, and it's really ultimately why we keep coming back here to thank you for doing that because no one, we would anyway, just out of common courtesy, but no one makes us do it. But we want to look you in the eyes and say, your prayer is what is keeping us going over there because it is. And when we were starting the school, we realized by God's grace 
that it, we had to lay a foundation of prayer. In 2012, we literally, after having thought about this idea of a Christian school at different times and how it could be a wonderful outreach tool and so on, we just literally on social media threw out uh, the question, anybody interested in starting a Christian school in this area? And with the first ones that responded, we just started praying. We just started praying. God, what do you want us to do? How to do it? Is this what you want? And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And now that we, we, there is literally a school and we can go and walk into that place and Lena and I, our eyes still tear up when we walk there because it's just amazing. It, it's so much, so far beyond what we even could have planned or designed or thought up or could lead now. But God has brought, God has raised it up. He's built it up. Our eyes tear up and we just thank God and we think we know we can never get away from a foundation of prayer. Monday's our day of prayer for Synergy. Join us if you want on Mondays. Pray for Synergy International Christian School. The, our, our whole school staff, we meet at recess time while we supervise with one eye open or two eyes. In some cases, all the kids playing. We pray together. We pray together. We pray for each other because if we move off our foundation of prayer, we're in a very insecure position. There are, there's a beautiful verse in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, in which David says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. That's prayer. Can you say that to the Lord? Because you know that regularly in the mornings you have a prayer time. And can God expect to hear from you in the morning? Short, on-the-run prayers are great and they are necessary and they're biblical as well. But do you have a time in the morning where you can just speak with God? And as David said, in the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Have fellowship with him, have conversation with him, and expect answers from him as well. So there's the personal aspect of prayer and the prayer for ministry, which is clear in this these verses from Paul. So we have prayer, such an enormous part of our Christian life and of God's working. And then we have persistence. Persistence. Persistence, persistence I believe, keeps us m from missing out on what God is planning to do around us. Persistence. The verse here, verse 18 says, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance. So keeping on doing that. Persevere in it. Keep going. Keep going forward. Keep moving to what God wants for you. To what he's shown you he wants to do. And there are many times when he just, he puts in our hearts a, a desire, a dream, a vision, and he convinces us of something that he wants to do. And really, when we think about eternity, God has already done that because his will is perfect outside of time and space. So when God wants to do it, for God it's not future, it's already done. But for us sometimes it can be completely unseen yet. It can be way down the road. And to get there, for us, takes persistence. It takes waiting. It takes praying, but praying persistently, sometimes for a long period of time. In 2014... Lena and I were praying and questioning 
if we should continue with our church plant back then because of different um, factors that had really dwindled down to basically lean on me, our children, and one or two other people meeting regularly on Sundays. And we told the Lord, this doesn't seem sustainable to us. We were convinced that he had wanted us to start that church, but it just seemed to be going backwards. There wasn't a, a critical mass to do anything, and we just prayed. And we thought, well, should we just go join another church in a neighboring town and work from there? Should we just stop meeting and do something different? But God never confirmed for us to do anything different. So we just kept doing that, that he had led us to do. And because of that, we were in a position to be available for a merger with another very small church in our city of 90,000 people. That became a wonderful way that God used to build up the church more. And it's the church that we have now, a wonderful fellowship with very sweet believers where we still see God at work. But not because that was our strategy or because God had told us he wanted to do things that way, but simply we just waited. We persisted, and when, when God didn't tell us to do anything different, we kept on going. Some people see Synergy International Christian School, and again, they see what God has done there, and they say, boy, I don't know how you and Lena could have, have, have persisted in doing this so much, and you know what, I don't know either. But it's just because there's nothing else to do. God didn't give us a plan A and then say, well, here's the plan B in case this doesn't work out in a certain time. There was never any other plan. So we just persisted. And we mostly persisted in prayer. Sometimes persistent is literally calling the city hall every day, calling the edu education department every week, requesting meeting after meeting after meeting, begging someone to do the next step, um, trying to figure out other ways to get things done, and at the same time realizing when God wants this to happen, it will happen, and persisting. And that's what God calls you to do. That's part of the Christian life. Persistence isn't only for big projects or mission field things or church ministry things. Persistence is really part of our hope. It's what God calls every Christian to do, to be faithful to the end, to keep going, to be persistent, as the word here is perseverance. So we ask you to persist. We ask you to pray for your own well-being, for your own strength, for your own power, power, prayer, and persistence. But we also invite you and urge you to keep doing that for us. In the 20, I do think it's 29 years that you've, this church has supported us, and the 26 years that we've been in Spain, we see a need for God to raise up new people to accept the challenge of praying for ministries in other parts of the world, like our ministries in Spain. We, don't, we know we can't just ride out that first wave of faithful people that knew us, that still wonderfully keep in touch with us, and we know they follow our updates or follow us on Facebook or, or whatever, and just when they're gone and they can't pray anymore, well, just we'll kind of ride things out as well. We can't do that. So we need more people, new people, to pray, to be interested, to follow, and to persist with us in what God is doing over there. And again, we thank you for doing that. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to see 
uh, your, your church. It's wonderful to see the life. It's wonderful to see the growth. It's wonderful to see many new, new faces. And we really thank God for you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayer and persistence with us in Spain. Father, I thank you for this morning, for this service, for this uh, time and place that's been provided to meditate on these things. And I thank you for your children who are gathered here. I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you would guide them, that you would give them joy as they serve you together, that they would see what you are doing here in this church, in this building, and in this area, and in their outreaches. I pray that they would be encouraged and filled with joy and hope to pray and persist in your power. And I thank you for the partnership you've given us these many years in Spain, and pray that you would keep giving fruit from that. We celebrate together in your name. Amen.